Welcome to The Word for Today, featuring the Bible teaching of Pastor Chuck Smith, founder of the Calvary Chapel Movement. This radio program is a verse-by-verse study through the entire Bible. And on today's edition of The Word for Today, Pastor Chuck continues with the famine in the land as we pick up in 2 Samuel chapter 23, verse 1. And now, with today's message, here's Pastor Chuck. Now, in chapter 21, it is recorded that at this time, there were three years of famine in the land. And so David sought the Lord. Why the famine? And and the Lord said the famine was in judgment because of the treatment of Saul of the Gibeonites. For Saul had killed many of the Gibeonites. Now, this is interesting to me because when Joshua was coming in to conquer the land, God said to Joshua, don't make a covenant with any of the people in the land. You're not to make any treaties, any covenants. Wipe them out. So after the conquest of the city of Ai, there came to Joshua these old men with worn-out shoes, with moldy bread in their hands and ragged clothes. And they said, we've come from a long distance because we have heard of your fame and how that God destroyed the Egyptians and how God is with you. And our leaders have sent us to you to make a league with you that we'll not attack you and you're not to attack us. And Joshua said, well, where are you from? Oh, they said, we're just a long way off. In fact, when we left home, this bread was hot in our hands, but look how moldy it is. These sandals were brand new. Look how worn out they are. And the Bible says they took stock of their victuals and inquired not of the Lord, and they made the covenant with them. They made the mistake that we so often make, using just our own good judgment instead of seeking God for wisdom and advice. We look over a situation and say, oh, well, that's all right. It's obvious, Lord, what you want me to do here. I don't need to really bother you about this. I'll take care of this matter. I can, I can see what's going on here, Lord. And, and, and we don't inquire of the Lord. There is that verse of the song, Oh, what needless pain we bear all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. And that is so true. And so they took stock of their victuals, inquired not of the Lord, and they made this covenant with the Gibeonites. And... As they got to the next city and they started to deploy the troops, the guy said, oh, no, you can't attack this city. He said, what do you mean? No, this is our city. And so Joshua realized that he had been snookered by these guys. And so he said, okay, I accept it. You've deceived me. But he said, you guys are going to have to chop our wood for us and be our servants. They said, that's fine. Better to be, you know, your wood choppers and servants and all than to be dead. Now, They made the covenant. God told them not to. They made it. But the interesting thing is, once they made it, God expected them to honor it. 
even though the covenant they made was wrong to begin with, even though they had no business making that covenant, even though they made it in deception, being deceived, once they made, they were told not to make any covenants to begin with. So they disobeyed God in making it. And in making it, they did it because they were deceived. Yet, God required that they honor that covenant. It is interesting to me how that God expects us to honor the covenants that we make. Now, I have so many times people come to me for counsel and they have made a covenant of marriage and they say, oh, it was a mistake. I never should have done it. And they want to disannul the covenant. They want to set aside the covenant that they made. They say, oh, that was a mistake. I should never have done it and all. And, and, I, and I want to set aside that covenant. But it is interesting to me that once you make a covenant, mistake or not, God expects you to honor that covenant. And Saul broke the covenant with the Gibeonites. He began to kill some of them. And so later on, and this is years later, under David's reign, Saul has been dead for years. Saul has been dead almost 30 years at least by this point. But now here come three years of famine and David inquires of the Lord and the Lord said, this is in judgment because of Saul breaking the covenant with the Gibeonites and killing many of the Gibeonites. And so David called the Gibeonites and said unto them, what shall I do for you? How can I make it right with you that you may bless the inheritance of the Lord? And the Gibeonites said unto him, We don't want any silver or gold from Saul, nor from his house. Neither do we want you to kill any man in Israel. And he said, Well, then what shall I do for you? And they answered and said, The man that consumed us and devised against us that we should be destroyed from remaining in any of the coast of Israel, let seven men of his sons be delivered unto us that we may hang them before the Lord in Gibeah, the, the city where Saul lived. And the king said, I will give them. But the king spared Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, because of his own covenant with Jonathan. But he took the two sons of Rizpah, who she barren to Saul, and the five sons of Michelle, the daughter of Saul, whom she brought up for Adriel, the son of Barzillai, the Meholathite. Now, we are told earlier in the scriptures that Michelle was sort of childless as, as David's punishment to her for her sort of mockery of him when he was dancing before the Lord as he brought the Ark of the Covenant back from Kirgath-Jerim when he was bringing it back to Jerusalem. There he was out dancing before the Lord, and when he got home, 
You know, he was all excited. He was going to bless his family. And she said, eh, weren't you a pretty one out there today? Dancing, you know, with all of those people like you were a commoner. And David said, I'm going to be more common than this and all. And, and so he, he refused then to have relations with her. She did not have it. She remained childless to the day of her death. So if you will go back in the record, you'll find that these five sons were the sons of Merib, who was the daughter of Saul, who originally was supposed to be given to David for killing Goliath. Remember, Saul said, if any man kills the, you know, this giant, I'll give him my son and great rewards and so forth. And Mirab was the daughter that was supposed to have been given to David, but Saul did him a dirty turn and gave her to someone else. And she had five sons, and so these sons that were turned over now to the Gibeonites to be hung were the five sons of Mirab, the woman who was supposed to be David's wife originally plus the two others who were actually sons of Saul from one of his concubines. And so he delivered them to the Gibeonites, and they hung them, all seven, during the days of the barley harvest. And Rizpah, the daughter of Ai, whose two sons were hung, took sackcloth and spread it upon the rock at the beginning of harvest until water dropped upon them out of heaven, and she did not allow the birds of the air to rest on them by day or the beasts of the field by night. And it was told David what Rizpah, the daughter of Ai, had, the concubine of Saul, had done. And David took the bones of Saul and of Jonathan and the bones of these fellows and buried them all together there in one of the burial places of the family sepulcher of Kish. Now, beginning with the 15th verse, we find now that the Philistines again make war against David. And David was out in battle against the Philistines, and he began to wax faint. And Ishbi Benab, who was one of the sons of Goliath, whose spearhead weighed 300 shekels of brass, he was about ready to kill David. And Abishai, the son of Zariah, helped David, and he smote the Philistine and killed him. And then the men of David swear unto him, saying, You're not to go out into battle with us anymore at all, lest you quench the light of Israel. So David's getting a little old now for fighting. And he was out there. He's out of shape, started to faint. And the son of Goliath just about got him until Abishai came to his help. And uh, so at, from this point on, they wouldn't allow David to go out into battle. And uh, it tells then of the death of the rest of Goliath's relatives, all of the giants of the Philistines, even one who had six fingers and six toes on each hand, uh, 24 in all as far as his toes and fingers in number. And in chapter 22, we have David's song of deliverance. So here is a psalm that is not in the Psalms, but it is here in 2 Samuel, and it is like the Psalms. It is one of David's songs of God's deliverance. He spake unto the Lord the words of this song, 
in the day that the Lord delivered him out of the hands of his enemies and from Saul. And he said, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, the God of my rock and him will I trust. He is my shield, the horn of my salvation, my high tower, my refuge, my savior. Thou savest me from violence. I will call on the Lord who is worthy to be praised and so shall I be saved from my enemies. And David goes on in this beautiful psalm telling of God's help how that when he was distressed and he called upon the Lord, the Lord heard him and God sent help unto him. Verse 29, David declares, For thou art my lamp, O Lord, and the Lord will lighten my darkness. For by thee I have run through a troop. By my God I have leaped over a wall. As for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is tried. He's a buckler to all of those who trust in him. A beautiful psalm. I suggest that you read it and enjoy it as we do enjoy the psalms. In chapter 23, these are the last words of David, the son of Jesse, the man who was raised up on high, the anointed of God, of the God of Jacob, and the sweet psalmist of Israel. I like that last title, the sweet psalmist of Israel. The Spirit of the Lord spake by me, and his word was in my tongue. So David acknowledges that God spoke by him. It was God's word that was in his tongue, and these words are confirmed in the New Testament. Peter, in quoting one of the Psalms of David, said, And David, by the mouth of the Holy Ghost, spake, saying, attributing the words of David actually to the Holy Spirit. David here himself is attributing his words to the Holy Spirit. And as you read the Psalms, you realize that surely they must be inspired of God. The worship of God that is actually inspired by God. So the Spirit of the Lord spake by me. His word was in my tongue. The God of Israel said, the rock of Israel spake to me. He that ruleth over men must be just, ruling in the fear of God. Ooh, I wish that they would put that somewhere in the swearing-in ceremonies of every leader in our country. Anyone who rules over men must do so in justice in the fear of God. What a whole different climate would exist in the United States today if our leaders were each of them just ruling in the fear of God. The problem with man is that he cannot really handle authority. If you don't believe that, just go down to the city council meeting on some Monday night and watch them as they sit there as little gods, wanting everybody to bow to them and to 
you know, do their obeisance and come to me and I, you know, and, and, and they're expecting everybody to just palaver over them, even in local government. But it only gets worse as you go up the ladder. I am absolutely appalled at the corruption that exists in the local levels of government. And what we see in the local levels of government is only just so little compared to what you see when you get further up into government because man is totally incapable of ruling over men because he fails to do it in the fear of God. You see, you begin to think that you are the authority because people are coming to you constantly for favors. People are constantly telling you how wonderful you are, building you up in order that they might get favors from you. And, and you begin to take the position of, you know, making the decisions and authority, not taking into account God and the fact that you're going to have to answer to God one day for each decision that you've made. Because if you are in a position of rulership, you actually are representing God because you're ruling over people's lives. Every man who rules over men should do so in justice, in the fear of God. Now David said this, you know, came to be powerfully from the Lord. And David's rule was marked by justice and in the fear of God. David made his mistakes true, but yet he was aware of his accountability to God, and that is something every leader, every ruler over man needs to be keenly aware of his accountability to God. Someday he's going to answer to God. You know, there are so often the desire to escape this urban life. Oh, if I could only live in the country. Oh, if I could only move up into central California, into one of those little country, you know, towns where things are so clean and pure and all. I have a friend who took the position of chief of police in one of these nice little country towns in Central California. And he's having a terrible time with the corrupt politicians who are trying to tell him who he can arrest and who he can't arrest. Certain things, crimes going on in town, he's just to overlook those completely. If there are certain people in town that park their cars in the wrong place, they're not to get ticketed. So he just quit issuing parking tickets. And then they came all upset. Why aren't you? He said, I can't do selective enforcement. But you talk about corruption. It's all over. Because man doesn't have the fear of God in his heart and doesn't recognize the fact that he is accountable to God. And when man becomes the end in himself, you've got corruption in its worst form, the breeding grounds of corruption. I have friends in Sacramento that say no matter how sincere and honest you are, 
Sacramento has the capacity of corrupting the most honest man within three months. Human government is corrupt to the core. And anybody is naive and their head is in the sand if they think any different. Because men are not obedient to the word of God where the Lord came to him and declared, he that ruleth over men must be just ruling in the fear of God. If we would follow that one rule, we could clean up the whole society. If those who were ruling over men were just and ruling in the fear of God, that would end all the corruption in government, but such is not the case. And it doesn't look like it's going to be the case in the near future, unless Christ comes. He shall be as the light of the morning when the sun rises, even the morning without clouds, as the tender grass springing out of the earth by the clear shining after a rain. We'll return with more of our verse-by-verse Bible study in the book of 2 Samuel on our next broadcast. As Pastor Chuck continues to teach through the Bible, and we do hope you'll make plans to join us. But right now, if you'd like to order a copy of today's message, simply order 2 Samuel 23 when visiting the wordfortoday.org. And while you're there, be sure to browse the many additional biblical resources by Pastor Chuck. You can also subscribe to the Word for Today podcast or sign up for our email subscription. Once again, that's thewordfortoday.org. For those of you wishing to call, our toll-free number is 1-800-272-WORD. And our office hours are Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Pacific Time. Again, that's 1-800-272-9673. If you prefer to write, our mailing address is The Word for Today. P.O. Box 8000, Costa Mesa, California, 92628. And now, on behalf of the Word for Today, we'd like to thank all of you who share in supporting this ministry with your prayers and financial support. And be sure to join us again next time as Pastor Chuck continues his verse-by-verse study through the Bible. That's right here on the next edition of The Word for Today. And now, once again, here's Pastor Chuck. May the Lord be with you and give you a beautiful week. May he watch over you and protect and shield you from the evil that is so prevalent in this world in which we live. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and just that beautiful, sweet communion of the Holy Spirit rest and abide upon your heart and your life all week long as you live with him and for him. This program has been sponsored by Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa, California. The 1960s became one of the most colorful periods in American history. The counterculture was dropping out and turning on. The Summer of Love was the stage for many dramas of change, and the most popular musical group in the world was singing All you need is love. But one man in Southern California was reaching out with the answer, and the truth began to set people free. 
author and pastor Chuck Smith began to share the love of Jesus Christ with a generation that was looking for love in all the wrong places. Now some 40 years later, the gospel of love is still changing lives. In his book simply titled, Love, The More Excellent Way, Pastor Chuck Smith expounds upon the love that can change your life now and forever. For more information on how to obtain your copy, visit a bookstore nearest you or call 1-800-272-WORD or visit us online at thewordfortoday.org. That's thewordfortoday.org.